0: With a chance of meatballs. It's a Christmas movie. Hey, Wes Bowles, good morning. Hey, where are, just by show of hands, where are our school teachers, school staff, school administration? Raise your hands real quick. All right, and students. Where are the students? Any age. Congrats. Congrats on finishing a semester. Well, I ask that because I got to step into your world a couple times this semester, but especially this last month. Uh, my wife signed us up for our daughter, Truth's class. Um, they have these math tests every week. And so, she, Kara signed us up for grading math tests, second grade math tests, and um, it's one of those where when she said we would do it, she actually meant I, I would do it because she's, she's the voice and um, the beauty and the arts and social studies and language arts and um, I can just add and subtract numbers really well. So I got two grade, second grade math tests over this last month and it's really, really interesting what you discover about second graders in their handwriting. For instance, I came across one. And I thought, Elizabeth, we do not need to press so hard on the paper. I could see where her lead broke every single time. And I just thought, what is going on inside that little body of Elizabeth? And then there was um, Brecken. Okay, Brecken, um, there's probably going to need to be some lessons on using resources because that four-inch line that they give you for your name, Brecken used all of it and then went across the page and still did not finish his first name. And so... You get to observe a lot, but I came across one test. And it was interesting. It had, like, all these spots on it and looked a little bit oily. And I just looked at True, and I said, True, do you guys get to eat snacks while you take tests? And she's like, no. I was like, well, what is this then? And so I had to go back to second grade. And I had to to put myself in that seat taking this math test And I went, okay, when I was concentrating really, really hard in second grade, what was I doing? I mean, now I do this. Or I'll like, you know, chew on the the lid of a pen or something like that. But in second grade, I realized what I was doing. And I went, oh my goodness, these are boogers all over this test. Derek, I I can feel the level of concentration in that little body of yours right now. And as I'm grading this, I went, this is disgusting. I did not sign up for this. Okay? Kara might have knowingly signed me up for this, but I did not sign up for this. I signed up to grade math problems on a math test for second graders, not deal with boogers all over the page. That I know he's probably saving for snack time, but anyhow. So, I'll, oh, don't act like you didn't do it. Okay, so anyhow, I thought this is just gross. I didn't sign up for this, and I know what you're thinking right now. Nathan, what does this have to do with Christmas? And it actually has everything to do with it, because as you saw, we're in the middle of a series called We Wish You an Awful... Christmas. Because we want you to go through Christmas full of the awe of God. We want you to go through Christmas full of the awe of God. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, that is a lot easier to understand when you realize your awe has maybe been misplaced when as we looked at the life of Herod. And, and it's a lot easier to understand getting our awe onto God. It's a lot easier to understand when we can see Jesus as king, as Eric Jacobson walked us through a couple weeks ago, as we looked through the lives at the Magi, the wise men. And it's even a lot easier to understand when, and even speak of, when we can see how God is going to get glory from it, as we looked at the lives of the shepherds in the Christmas story last week. But when God puts in front of you Somebody or a situation that is just so messy, right? I I came to grade math problems and I dealt with boogers. And there are a lot of life circumstances that feel a lot like that. What does the awe of God look like when you're in that situation? And that's where we are today because we're going to look at the life of a young man and woman who are at the core of that Christmas story. And even, and we'll see, even in those situations, it is possible to live full of the awe of God. And so that story is found in Matthew chapter 1. We're at verse 18. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen. But here is how that passage begins. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, you've got to understand that to be pledged in those days was as it was as binding as actually being married and so she's got some she's got some pretty pretty serious things that she's already by taking this oath and being pledged she is already being held accountable to his mother mary was pledged to be married to joseph but before they came together she was found to be pregnant uh oh she was found to be pregnant and then it goes on, just to, just to make it even more complex. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what do you do? What do you do when what God has done, when what God has done brings you into conflict with what God has said? Because the Jewish law that they held to, that was put in place by God, but now what God is doing here is bringing them conflict with it. So what do you do? What does Joseph do? Well, as you'll see next, Joseph does exactly what you could expect Joseph to do. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, I want you to think about something for a minute. See, we think about Joseph And and we think that Joseph had this. Old Testament, New Testament, but there's a problem with that. Did he have the New Testament? No, he didn't have any of that. So all that stuff Jesus said that is going through our minds as we read this, Joseph didn't have any of it. Joseph had what? He had the Jewish scriptures. He had the old law. And the old law actually speaks to the situation that Joseph is in right now. Deuteronomy chapter 22. If a woman is pledged to be married and has been found to be with child, do you want to know what the penalty is? You can probably guess. It's death. It's death by stoning. Now, over time, that law got modified and it was, it was moved to, um, you could give her a, a certificate of divorce. But she would walk around just disgraced and shamed. And so we get a little bit of insight into Joseph when it says he was faithful to the law, but he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, you don't have to know the old Jewish scriptures and law to understand what Joseph's going through. Because each and every single person in here, you know, if I come back to us for a minute, You have those laws that you kind of live your life by. I don't mean like the local ones or the state ones or the federal ones, but I mean those life rules that you walk through life with. Like eye for an eye, which is actually part of that old law. Or you hear this one a lot, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Or or we have like a three strikes and you're out policy with people. These are the kinds of laws that it's very easy for us and tempting for us to live our lives by. But what's so interesting to me, that verse actually also tells us what the effect of those laws is. When I live my life with all these rules and laws in place, it's not that they don't bring order or or anything like that, but you know what they ultimately do? They create separation. And they create shame. And so what happens is you, you may have somebody in mind right now that you think, oh man, they've let me down and they've let me down and they've let me down and I've told myself I wasn't going to trust them anymore and they continue to let me down. And there's a sense of separation within us, between us and them. That may be what it is for some in this room. And for others in this room, you may, you may have certain laws that you're trying to live up to. That if, if you think, if I don't live up to that, I'm a disgrace, and inside you can feel separation from everybody else, and see there's an explanation for this. It's because we are law-driven people. Again, they bring order, but, but we are very law-driven people. L- let me give you a case in point. Let's come back to these second-grade math tests, okay? So the teacher, w- when they send these papers home, they send home a grading scale that you'll see, you'll see behind me, all right? So, If they get 77 to 80 correct in four minutes or less, they get a four. It's the highest grade you can get. And then the next tier down, there's a three and then a two. And as much as I wanted there to be a one, they stopped at the two. So um, there's a two. And so I have this in mind as I'm grading these papers. And I remember I got to this test and this girl, I think it was Bethany. I changed all their names to protect their identities because I know you're wondering who they are, all right? So I'm going through, and she's just not missing a single thing. And it it, honestly, it's pretty boring. It's like, oh, Bethany, congrats, you got another one correct, okay? And then this thing came up inside me that is in every single one of us. I'm like going through these, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. She wrote six plus seven is 14. Six plus seven, just so you know, it's not 14, okay? (laughs) And there was this giddiness inside of me that was like, yes, Bethany, in your face. And I had this bright orange marker that I pressed extra hard and circled this thing as bold and bright as I could. I thought, in your face, Bethany. You got one wrong. I think it was the only one she got wrong. But then I thought, what kind of a monster am I? I got incredible joy marking one math problem wrong for a second grade little girl. And that's in us. That's in us because we are very law-driven people. And so now Joseph, being very law-driven, in fact, it says he was faithful to the law, he's in a dilemma. He's in the exact kind of dilemma that God loves to show up in. And that is exactly what God did. Look at the next, next verse. Verse 20 says, but, but after he had considered this, the divorce, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. In a dream. Okay, it, again, I'm not God, but if I'm God and I'm thinking here's a guy who's devoted his entire life to being faithful to the law, I don't know that I'd pick a dream to get his attention in. But I'm not God. So this is what God chose. He appears to him in a dream and said, Joseph son of David. That's important. We'll come back to that in a minute. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to point you to something in this verse here. See that Joseph, son of David up there? That is actually to direct your attention back to an earlier part of this chapter. And it's actually the part of the chapter right before where we started reading this morning, which is the most exciting part of the Bible, the genealogy of Jesus, okay? And I, I say that sarcastically because when I first came to church and I heard all these people talking about how powerful the Word of God is and the Bible, I, I said, okay, where do I start? It's like 1,000, 1,500 pages, whatever, and where do I start? And they said, oh, the New Testament's a good place to start. Do you know what the very beginning of the New Testament is? It is the genealogy of Jesus. And so I'm reading so-and-so is the father of so-and-so is the father of so-and-so, and And they do this like 42 times. And I just thought, what is wrong with these people? Because I didn't see anything powerful about it. In fact, there is a story about Dwight Eisenhower. His mom made him and his siblings read through the Bible every two years. And you know what she gave him permission to skip? The genealogy. She gave them permission to skip the genealogy. And chances are you have two. So you can, you have something in common with Dwight Eisenhower. Okay, so that is not the point. Anyhow, so I'm looking at this and I'm going, what power is there in this? And it is tied to this verse. Joseph, son of David, is to get you to look back at that genealogy because as you look through that genealogy, you know what that is made up of? People who tried to live up to the law, the old law, over and over and over. And they failed. Over and over and over. In other words, Joseph came from a line, a long line, of law-driven, law-driven people, and law-breaking people. Tons of them. Tons of them. And so this angel is trying to direct Joseph to this, but then to say this, do not be afraid. In other words, Joseph, I know you've, you've lived your life faithful to the law. In fact, I know you come from a lineage, it's been generations of trying to live up to the law and thinking if you can just live up to the law, then you're set in God's eyes. And you know what she's saying? What, what we find out here? It's not the truth. That's not the truth. You're going to fall short. And Joseph, I imagine if he's talked in his sleep, this is where he started talking in his dream. And he thought, I can't do this. There is no way I can go forward with this. It's been generations of trying to live up to the law. I've given my life to try to live up to the law because we're law-driven people. And yet, and yet, this is God saying, I know. I know, it's like Joseph is in a giant game. Have you played Would You Rather? You know the game, Would You Rather? Like, would you rather lose all your money and valuables or every picture you've ever taken? Hard choice. Would you rather always be 10 minutes early or 20 minutes late? Hard choice. Joseph's in a giant game of Would You Rather. Would you rather do what you were going to do and Mary walks in shame, or would you rather do what I ask you to do, Joseph, and you might both be seen with shame. In other words, this is God looking at Joseph and you and me, and you know what he's saying? I want you to be awe-driven, not law-driven. I want to know that I can show up even after a lifetime of being faithful to the law. Generations of being faithful to the law. I want to know, can I step in? This is what God wants to know. Can I step in? So, back to these second grade tests. I'm grading the second grade test, and, and it was very black and white for me for a while. But here's the problem. Let me show you one one little one little piece of a test. Okay, I came across this one. Alright. So do you see that 3 plus 6 up there in the upper right? Alright. 3 plus 6 is is that an A? Is, is that a drawing? Okay, I could see where the intent was a nine, and, and they had four minutes, so maybe they were going fast. But I thought, what do I do here? What do I do? I know, you're all like Nathan. It's a second grade math test. Relax. But I stopped on this, and I went, oh, I don't know what to do. Okay, let me show you another one. So we get to this next one. And I thought, okay, all right. I get the intention here, all right? 9 plus 8 is capital K? <laughs> no, that's a 1 with a backward 7. What do you do? And suddenly something happened, something's happening in my heart over this second grade math test, and I'm thinking, "Oh my gosh, maybe it's not maybe it's not as to the letter of the law as I was thinking." Let me show you another one. Okay, this one, and it's not lit very well, but they got every single one of those correct. And then the bottom right here, if, if you saw up above, they, they hit the four-minute mark, and they had three left. Oh, you had three to go. You had three to go, Jennifer. You were so close. What do you do? See, and that's what I think God wants to be able to do is he wants to be able to show up with all our rules, with all our standards, with all our expectations, that law-drivenness. And you know what I think he wants to know? Can you be awe-driven? Can you be awe-driven? And that's hard. I I believe God wants to move us from law-driven to awe-driven. But how do you get there? How do you get there? And the angel knew The angel knew this. And so I think it's why the angel said what the angel said next. The angel said this. Uh, The angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You want to know the first thing that is at stake when we're dealing with people and we're in a messy situation that we've got to remember is what Jesus wants to do. See, Joseph is looking at Mary through the lens of the old law. And God says, well, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. And I want you to see her through a different lens. I want you to look at her differently. And, and we have the benefit of looking back and knowing that that child would grow to be Jesus, who would say, I have not come to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill the law. And it's so interesting to me, if I could just talk to the, the followers of Jesus in the room for a minute. If you're not, you, can, you have permission to tune out for a second. But isn't it interesting that we still, although Jesus fulfilled the law, we still walk through life trying to hold people, bind people to an old law that he fulfilled. It would be like being in massive debt, and somebody came along and paid it off. Would you want to keep making payments on the debt? No, none of us would. I don't know anybody in this room who would do that. And yet it's what we do. When we live law-driven lives, we continue to try to bind people To this old law that Jesus saved us from. He saved us from it, but there's something else at stake. The angel continues All this, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You know what's at stake? when we're looking at somebody in a messy situation and when we're in one and we just want to be law-driven the entire time, it's what Jesus wants to do for them, but also who Jesus wants to be for them. It's life with Jesus in eternity, but it's life with Jesus right now, life with him. And this is the thing that we've got to keep at the forefront of our minds That when I think I'm just going to apply my set of rules, my law, my expectations, my standards to somebody, we've got to stop and we've got to remember what's really at stake here. And when you can remember that, then you know that God is moving you from law-driven to awe-driven. But the key to that is having in mind and in heart Jesus. But maybe the best reason for all this is what happens as a result. Verse, <clears throat> verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Can you imagine after generations of faithfulness to the law, after an entire lifetime of being faithful to the law, the guy gets up from a dream and does What God asked. That is a heart that is awe-driven. Verse 25. But he did not, he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. And in that moment, in that moment, Jesus went from an idea, a thought. A dream, a prayer, a wish, whatever it was for people at that time, he went from all that to reality, flesh and blood reality on this earth. See, Joseph saw the law of God, but also Mary, a child of God, through a certain lens. You know what that lens is? It's Jesus, Joseph looked at the law of God, and he he went, oh my goodness, Jesus fulfilled. He will fulfill the old law. So I don't have to hold Mary to that. But then he looked at Mary, and he said, not only did he fulfill the law, he redeems this woman. That's an awe-driven heart, when we can view everything through the lens of Jesus. Jesus. Because ultimately, you know, what, you know what this shows us? That Jesus comes into the world through awe-driven hearts. Not law-driven lives. Awe-driven hearts. Well, so I'm, I'm looking at these second grade math tests. And I'm going through them. And, and I, it had been weeks of marking kids wrong because you sign up for a month at a time. Well, this last week, I'm grading these tests. And I, I went through the first one. And they got two wrong. Two wrong out of 80. So that was easy. On that grading scale, it's a four. Okay, next one. Next one missed seven. And according to our grading scale, that should be a three. And I circled each one that was wrong. And I put, you know, minus seven. And then, you know what? You get a four. A couple of tests later, there's this, there's this little guy. He's been having trouble the entire semester. So he, got, he answered 20 out of the 80 questions in four minutes. Okay, so he's already at a minus 60. And then of the 20 he answered, he got seven of those wrong. And so circled 67 problems that he got wrong. Gave him a four. I am never going to get asked to grade papers ever <laughs> again. But I'm a pastor, okay, this is what's going to happen. I'm not an elementary math teacher. This is what you get when you ask a pastor. At least I hope that's what you would get. In fact, I hope that's what they get if they ask you to grade them. A reminder of the measure of our shortcomings, but also a reminder of the extent of His love and His grace. Would they get a four from you? And maybe the even bigger, maybe biggest reason I say all this is because one day, somebody in your life who has been in your life, who maybe is in your life, will be in your life, one day they may be telling a story of how they came to know Jesus, and it'll probably start out very similar to the verse we started with this morning. Verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about in my life. And when you listen to those stories over and over and over, you know what you you, you hear? It kind of sounds like a really messy math test, like with boogers all over it. There is a mess somewhere. And oftentimes what happens is they start talking about, well, I tried this, and -and so-and-so had me try this, And I tried this, and and after a while, it it starts to get kind of, well, boring. And your eyes kind of glaze over. In fact, it kind of sounds like a genealogy, to be honest. But then, if you listen, at some point, there's a Joseph. There's a Joseph that God put there somebody who knew the laws, they knew the expectations. They knew maybe what what that person deserved. And yet they said, you know what? I'm not gonna hold you to that. I'm gonna be awe driven. May we be those people, because it paves the way for Jesus to come into the world. The worship team's gonna come up and close us in one song. I will pray while they're coming up. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for second grade math tests, (laughs) really messy ones, because it is a reminder over and over and over of not just our shortcomings, but how much you actually love us. And so for all that law-drivenness in us, we ask that this Christmas give us a drive from awe. Let us be driven with the awe of you and your ultimate awe, Jesus who you sent at Christmas, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.